0: And welcome to our webinar, Fostering a Culture of Inclusion in Evangelization and Catechesis. I'm Colleen Campbell, Coordinator of Formation Programs at the Catholic Apostolate Center. I'm pleased to welcome our presenter for this webinar, Charlene Katra. Charlene is the Executive Director of the National Catholic Partnership on Disability. She previously served as an associate director in the Office of Evangel- Evangelization and Catechesis for the Archdiocese of Galveston, Houston. For over 20 years, her primary responsibility was directing the ministry with persons with disabilities. Charlene is the co author of The Adaptive Teacher Faith Based Strategies to Reach and Teach Learners with Disabilities, published by Loyola Press in 2019. And additionally, she's also the author of How to Talk to Children About People with Disabilities, published by 23rd Publications in 2019. She has extensive experience in systematic and sacramental catechesis and has served as a national consultant, author, and speaker on the topic of inclusion for various Catholic publishers. Charlene is currently a member of the Loyola Press Speaker Corps. She holds a bachelor's in special and elementary education and a master's in pastoral studies. We're pleased to have her speaking with us about catechesis and inclusion as part of the center's webinar series on the directory for catechesis. If you have any technical issues during the presentation, please send a message in the chat box on the bottom right of the screen and a staff member will assist you. During the presentation, feel free to also put your questions in the questions tab in the top right of your screen within the chat box feature. Now, I will turn things over to Charlene, who will start off her presentation with a prayer. Thank
1: you, Colleen. And my thanks to to the um, Catholic Apostolate Center for the invitation to join and speak with your audience today. So as Colleen said, we will begin, of course, in prayer. I'm going to put the prayer up on the screen so you'll see the words if you at home um, would like to do that. I assume your microphones are muted, but I'll be glad to be the leader for our prayer today and, and speak the prayer aloud. So if you'll join me in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Spirit of God present among us, you grace us with abilities that we freely share in hopes of building up your kingdom on earth. All ministry, the disability ministry, is your ministry. We thank you and praise you for every opportunity to serve your people, especially those very beloved by you, persons sometimes overlooked or invisible in the world. We ask for your blessings and guidance on our humble efforts to accompany persons with disabilities and their families, within the life of the church and society. Thank you for ministry leaders and all people who through their sincere love and acceptance of the entire body of Christ are transforming the world we live in, one diocese, one parish, one family at a time. May the blessing of God be upon us, giving us knowledge to guide us, courage to support us, And always love to unite us now and forever in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Since we are still in this um, unique reality of living through this um, devastating pandemic, I want you to just use this question as a beginning self-reflection question. Maybe it's something you want to continue and carry through on your Lenten journey. But how much you imagine your ministry could be more inclusive to better accompany persons with disabilities and their families post-pandemic? You know, it's given us an opportunity to to slow down in some ways um, and and given us some maybe space for, for greater reflection this last year. And so, again, I just suggest that that might be a question you would like to lean into. And I hope that what we talk about today will also help you um, maybe come up with some good ideas and tips and strategies to do so. But today we're going to really, you know, of course, our focus is to look at our new directory for catechesis. So we have this wonderful new directory that we just recently received. And um, it's always a good thing when we get more foundational material that really supports what we do in the church, um, all ministries. But this one in particular, of course, has the the catechetical emphasis. And my, as you can just imagine, doing disability ministry um, for decades, chapter eight, section six, has the really four paragraphs and and for disability ministry I will tell you for doing this for a long time that's a lot for the church to write and and there's still they speak about it throughout the whole the whole book and you can see it's a it's a good size you know book they speak about it you know throughout as well but they dedicate these this one section these four paragraphs specifically to this lens so that's what I want to walk uh, with you through today and the way I looked at it they didn't give it these titles but for me, those four paragraphs speak to these four points. So we're going to look at each each paragraph and focus on the topic of encounter, the topic of Paschal mystery, especially the culture of inclusion. And, if, and we'd be remiss if we didn't talk naturally about our Catholic identity in light, of, in light of the disability ministry as well. So let's just go ahead and dive in. Paragraph 269, the one I'm titling Encounter, I broke it down even a little bit further because it really starts right with our baptism. So when we are born and our parents, if we're in it, if we're baptized as an infant, I was not everyone is some may come into the church, at other later stages of life and ages of life. But at our baptism, right, we are brought into the church. We're now a child of God in the Catholic Church. And that's an exciting time, both for the the individual and or the parents and godparents and grandparents and those who support that family. So when young families come to the church and they have their child baptized, that's a perfect opportunity for church to begin on this journey, right, with with the individual, but as well as with their family. So a lot of the new directory, too, talks, it has a very, um, I'm proud to say, family perspective lens to it. So we really wanna not lose sight of that. So the family who comes and has someone baptized, or again, if they're older, they still have a family with them, we know. What happened with the disability ministry in years past, the history was people would have their child baptized. And what happens in a baptism? The people that are present for those celebrations, they're asked to stand up basically, you know, spiritually and support the new person coming into the church and along with their family and those who know and love them. So we we make that commitment to do so, but then oftentimes you may never see that person again, but nonetheless, you're making the commitment, You know, it's a communal celebration as it should be. So we wanna talk about the fact that, and especially if someone has a child with a disability, or if you're on a baptism team or you ever end up on a baptism team in parish ministry life, um, this is a great time to really connect with a family that, that, as I say, has greater needs, okay, than maybe another one, if they have a child with a disability. So that's our a good end point. Um, the, again, our RCIA and, and baptism teams, I, I think in particular, are very good opportunities for us to, to get to know someone. You really get to learn their story. And, and, I, and I hope you take time to do that. On the, on the part of incarnation, you know, um, I'm going to show you a picture and I'm going to talk about a little book in just one minute, and then we'll end with the, to- the topic of in company. But I want you to know a little bit of the history on the baptism piece first. So we're baptized, and then beyond the baptism, which number one, by the baptism, um, we lean into these two foundational pieces of information, which is really our scripture and our tradition, right? So we have Genesis 127 from scripture that tells us we're made in God's image. So by our birth, we're made in God's image. And of course, our Catholic social teachings, especially the very first one, highlights the dignity of the human person. So those are kind of, I call them our bookends. So we have scripture and tradition that that is, is foundational in general, but most, most especially as well with the disability ministry. And when people always say, well, you know, should we have everybody together? Should, you know, you teach in a different, different separate rooms. And I hear all kinds of questions over the years. My answer has always been, you know, there are a lot, there's a lot of gray, right? It's not all black and white, of course not, but gospel values always equal full inclusion. And I put the picture there of Jesus washing the feet, right? And when Jesus was washing feet and any other story in scripture where Jesus is present, just remember there's always a social and a spiritual dimension. So it is both, okay? There, it's, it's always about relationships is the best way to say it. And the other thing that the document says, as a matter of fact, I wanted to mention this. It says that the church's solicitude for persons with disabilities springs from God's way of acting. Following the principle of the incarnation of the Son of God, who makes himself present in every human situation, the church recognizes in persons with disabilities, the call to faith and to a life that is good and full of meaning. The theme of disability is of great importance For evangelization and christian formation so i put this um, these two pictures in particular that i love both very much but on the one that's um the cartoon you know it's 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 us sometimes in our humanity saying when some god puts someone in front of us you know surely you don't mean you want me to serve this person or that person Uh, you know we might sometimes in our humanity question but what was God's answer, the coming down from the clouds? Yes, welcome him. Yes, welcome her. You know, there's no accidents. There's no mistake. God puts in front of us the people God intends for us to be with um, and to serve and to accompany. So those encounters are are, um, from God, and we need to receive them from God and and, uh, maybe let go of some of sometimes our, our questioning about this person or that person. And you know, even as the cartoons shows, you know, there's there's people that look very different than us. They might speak another language, they might different color skin, ex- disability, age, etc. So, even though someone might look act dress etc different than us. I always tell people too, remember we're always the other to someone else also, okay? So again, the more you reflect on these kind of things, I think it's easier to see Christ in everyone, right? And then, of course, the young couple on the other side—it's the same kind of thing. You know, it's a question about you see someone who looks very different, but but as as the as the document even says the directory, they can live very and they God has in, ordained their lives to be very full lives, right? It says um. The document says, human diversity is of great importance for evangelization and catechesis. In baptism, we become equal in dignity and necessary members of the body of Christ. And all persons, however limited, are capable of growth and holiness. And that quote actually came out of the the general directory for catechesis. Um, Persons with disabilities and their families, though, they seek, seek to be included in the full life of the church. And God's vision of love calls us to bring about that reality for them. You know, on, on this slide, I, I like to just kind of let you, if you will, um, think about how language changes and it changes over time in every field. But in the disability field, it, it has also changed very much. Um, and, it, and words matter. So we usually whenever I have an opportunity to talk to someone, I like to talk a little bit about how language has changed for the disability, disability community. And I'm gonna try and help you just kind of know what's more current and, and I would say best, best pastoral practices today. So, and I don't know that I can see unfortunately right now, maybe I don't have my screen in my best mode here, but I'm not seeing the chat, but I'm hoping if you'd like, um, if you wanna put words in the chat that maybe are words that you, anything that you've ever seen, heard, phrases that tell you someone has a person with a disability, um, because there are many, right? You may have heard it on a playground as a child. You may have heard it in a movie last week. Doesn't matter whether they're, I would say appropriate or not. Or it's just a matter of what are, think for a moment about what some of those phrases are that you've heard, read, etc. cetera, that when you do see or read them you or hear them, you know someone's talking about a person with a disability. Okay, I think I figured, can you still see my screen? I hope so, because I just clicked where I can see now the chat box. So I see people putting special and special needs, um, limited, okay, any other person, anybody wants to put any other words, phrases? Um, There's certainly a plethora of them and we don't have to spend too much time on it. But basically what I wanna share with you is that um, challenged, otherly abled, you see the differences and, and even around different parts of the country you'll hear different languages and words, older or current. But what I will tell you is some of the very older terminology are words like gimp and crippled, very, very dated. Um, I would say after those came the word handicapped, after which you still hear on rare occasions, but it's kind of gone further away, fortunately. And then the word most commonly used today is truly the word, it starts with a D. Anybody want to guess at the word? There you go. Disabled, right? Someone put disabled in the chat. So that's the most common one. But what I want to tell you is we want to move beyond the word disabled, because the way I usually tell people is think of a, Think of a, you know, traffic report. You check the traffic report because you want to know, you know, if by chance, and this is how they might say it in the news, there's a disabled vehicle on a certain freeway. Well, when you hear there's a disabled vehicle on a certain freeway, what does that connotate? and you're welcome to write it in the chat. What does that connotate when you hear there's a disabled vehicle on the on the freeway? And what are you gonna do? Okay, so someone's saying it's broken, right? Okay, there's a backup, broken, backup, it doesn't work, etc. So you've got all these things going on. Are you gonna choose to go that way? Probably not, right? Oh, you're gonna go some other direction, understandably. The point being, that's fine for an inanimate object, But I, as a Catholic Christian, as a leader in the church, for sure, um, I don't use that language. I'm going to call, I'm going to use what's called people first language. And that basically means you put the person always before a disability. So for a person, again, not an inanimate object, a person, child of God, it's a person with a disability. It's not an autistic girl. It's a girl who has autism or better yet, a girl who lives with autism. Because remember, they can have full meaning full and long and meaningful lives. So um, it's always the person before any descriptor or diagnosis. Okay. If someone has cerebral palsy or autism, you know, um, mental illness, and we're going to get away from some of those negative terms that are, you know, perpetuate stigma as well. So we're gonna talk a little bit about that in a moment as well. This is an older book but uh, it's, it's a great one. It's Henry Nowen's uh, last book he wrote. It was called Adam, God's Beloved. In Adam, God's Beloved, um, he really speaks about a ministry of presence because he spent his last few months or year or so of his life intentionally choosing to live in a large community where he and a team of other people, which is what it took, took care of Adam. So Adam was an adult individual who had multiple and severe disabilities and needed a team of people to care for him. And Henry Nowen, for all his, you know, theology, uh, he was a scripture scholar, all the formation he had at the end of his life in his book said, I learned more about the incarnation, helping to serve and care for Adam than I ever did in all of the theology I studied all my life. I mean, that's powerful when you hear that coming from someone, again, as acclaimed as Henry Nowen is and was. Um, he said, every time spirit meets spirit, is the Christ event? It happens again, and that's no different from us and for us. So there's there's a, there's great value, right? Great value in us slowing down to be with someone who has greater needs than we do. Um, but sometimes there's some barriers, right, for us being together and having that inclusive community that we so might dream of, that what you're vision envisioning for post-pandemic. You may have a physical barrier not uncommon, especially for older properties at your parish or the diocese, etc., even in homes, right? So physical barriers are one level of barrier. Um might cost some money, but you could probably build a ramp or put in a push button for electronic door openers, things like that. Might be something to think about in budgets if you have opportunities to have influence there. But the other, added, uh, other barrier is attitudinal barriers. And, you know, sadly, Uh, The physical barriers are easier to remove than the attitudinal barriers. So that's something to really think about um, is, you know, it's nice to say, oh, well, no, we wouldn't, we don't. But trust me, I talk to families all the time. That's one of their biggest challenges is how hard it is for them to be in faith communities, because oftentimes they do get a lot of stares and glares. So we can do better, you know, and we want to work to do better and to help educate people. Because a lot of times this comes out of just a not knowing. Um, the other thing I always say is, you know, be curious, not judgmental, right? So just be curious when you don't know. Go ask questions. Come to a training like this, you know, gain more information. Speaking of learning and modeling and being kinder and a gentler society, you know, a few pictures here, in particular, um, and I love them all, but the one in the top right of the older woman and the young boy raking. I don't look on Facebook too much anymore these days and partly because I'm just too busy and that's a good thing. Um, but I I looked one day and I like to at least see what my nieces and nephews and their kids and the family, you know, right, family pictures like a lot of us like. Um, and this was a post, that top right corner picture of one of my nieces who, who said something to the effect of, you know, when you look outside and see your eight-year-old helping his 90-year-old neighbor rake leaves and then she just put something like, um, kindness matters, teach them young. And I just thought that was great. And the picture below it, I kind of put with it intentionally because I thought to myself, I don't know who that young man is helping that other older woman out with the groceries, but I believe it's going to be my niece's son, you know, in 10 years at that age, because again, like she said, teach them young kindness matters. Um, and again, how do we model care for our parents the elderly? Um, and our kids are watching, right? And the grandkids, they they see everything we do, we know. And and they like to imitate. And we couldn't end this section without, of course, talking about uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan in particular. So the parable of the Good Samaritan uh, is the core of catechesis and evangelization because it equals accompaniment, okay? Accompaniment and hospitality, sometimes radical hospitality. But that's what this parable speaks about. And so it's definitely one you also might want to reflect on often, right? Is is And again, you have to spend time with someone to know their needs, to get to know them. You know, you can't just give them a quick glance and keep going, you know. And it will be a blessing to you more than to the individual you serve. Always works that way. So finally, on this one paragraph, the directory says, Communities are called not only to take care of the most fra- fra- fragile, but to recognize the presence of Jesus who in a special way manifests himself in them. And the directory also referenced this. He said, this calls for a twofold attention. One, an awareness to educate in the faith, even those with grave or very grave disabilities. And two, a willingness to consider them as active subjects in the community in which they live. We must never look at an individual with a benefit versus burden mentality, okay? We are all equal in dignity in God's eyes. And this has come up very much recently um, through the pandemic for persons with disabilities. This, And there, I'm gonna show you later, we wrote a statement about the rights to medical treatment because it had to do more with beds and ventilators. Now it has a little bit more to do at this time a year later with vaccines, right? Getting vaccines and who's getting them. So the next paragraph, Paschal Mystery, uh, is how I named it. And, and Paschal Mystery in the sense of our rising and dying and we're resurrection people. But yet, you know, you know, there is a lot of the rising, dying, the suffering. And then again, we rise again. Right. So we, we, it's not a straight path through life. We have a lot of currently even looking at this challenges we have. But people with dinner, disabilities also, you know, they, they shine a light on our vulnerability. That's why sometimes it can be hard for some people to um, maybe relationship with them. And I, and I think a lot of it, and I don't think it's, again, I don't think the motivation is to be um, afraid, but I think it's just that it makes you look at your own mortality in some ways. But we're all broken, right? We're all, you know, there's things that say we're born broken. We spend the rest of our lives trying to become whole. So, but but sometimes again, seeing those who have greater needs in these areas can can be can be challenging sometimes. Um, if it's hard for you to be vulnerable and to accept your own mortality and or weaknesses, etc., whatever those are, and those can be many, right? So, fears is fear is the other thing. You know, I've heard fear stands for false events appearing real years ago. Never forgot that. So, you know, sometimes we fear something, but it's again it's because we don't know. So once you know something fears will dissipate, right? Because you now have an understanding of what, what what it is or what someone's going through or what they need. And of course, mainly, you know, it's, these are huge growth opportunities for us if we embrace them in that light, okay? And of course, naturally, if um, until we understand that our diversity is a strength and a gift to the world, we never fully understand the God who created it, right? Disability, I'm going to add this, disability, in fact, can create embarrassment because it draws attention to difficulties in welcoming diversity. It can also elicit fear, especially if marked by a character of permanence, because it is a reference to everyone's radical situation of fragility, which is suffering and ultimately death. So that's a lot to, to think about as well, but And there is a part later in the directory, not in this chapter I'm focusing on, uh, it's actually part three, chapter nine, I wrote this down, um, paragraph 295 that says, accepting the challenge of evangelization means bringing the word of God to the farthest reaches, opening oneself to all types of peripheries. So a couple quick questions for you. Um, I know it's afternoon. You may have had lunch, so I want to make sure you're staying awake with me. What's your disability IQ on this question? How many children, because there's two main topics in disability that I will tell you our website gets the most hits on, on on the subject of autism. So we have a council on intellectual and developmental disabilities that does a lot of work in this, this, with this focus. So autism and mental illness. Um, So I want to ask you a few questions and show you a little information on both. Again, your guess is on how many children have a diagnosis. Is it A, B, or C? hope some of you are taking a little guess out there. Here comes the choices. The number, of course, um, unfortunately has gone down, which is not the direction we wish it would go, but it keeps getting lower over the years since I've been doing this. So for those of you guessing, let me just get to the next slide so you can see it. Okay. It's one in 54 currently who have a diagnosis of autism in children. So again, I remember back when it was one in one ten, et cetera. So it did, it is definitely, um, going, I say in the wrong direction where the diagnosis are getting increased. Uh, and this is Temple Grandin. Some of you may recognize her. She's pretty much the internationally known self-advocate for autism, but these are some good important things for us to know as educators, uh, parents, etc., catechists, leadership. She's a visual thinker. So you're not gonna work, it's not gonna be, she's not language-based. You're gonna wanna need visuals, pictures, uh, multi-sensory learning. And then the other side that says, I can remember when she couldn't talk, because now she can, but when she was younger, maybe she hadn't yet. Again, the development might've been delayed. So what would she do when she couldn't get a word out or didn't have the words maybe? She would scream. And, and that's important also, very important for educators and catechists and leadership to know is because it's a, if someone is showing you that they're frustrated, okay? They, don't, they may not have the words like you and I do to express frustration, pain, anger, any emotion and every emotion, right? Look at these pictures on this page. You can't tell me, you can't guess what some of the emotion going on or some of the message going on in those pictures, Right? And what we say is all behavior is communication, right? All behavior is communication. And there's different ways for people to express themselves. And a parent will, if we don't know, the parent always knows. You know your child. You know what your child, and they're, they're going to express themselves and let you know what they want, what they need, even if they don't have the words, whether they're a toddler or, or they're much older chronologically, if they are not able to speak aloud. So I say, let us allow God to surprise us, right? Right. Um, every day when you get up, be open to that. Be open to the people that God puts in front of you because, again, you can you can get great blessing from that, that openness. Okay, I mentioned we wanted to talk also just briefly, but especially in this climate we're in right now. Again, go ahead and take a guess. What percentage of U.S. adults experience mental illness? And this is in 2019. It was the most recent they had. So you can imagine that was pre-pandemic, and we know how much more things have been exasperated in this last Twelve months. So sadly, I I fear these numbers are also going to go in the wrong direction, right? But um, what percentage do you think of U.S. um, adults experienced mental illness last in uh, in 2019? I'm just looking at some of your answers. Okay, B 20.6 percent, 51 and a half million people. Okay. That it represents one in five adults, so one in five adults. And for especially for our clergy, I often say, you know, do you realize how many people in pews, especially when we come back to pews, but even now at home praying over live stream masses, how many people are struggling themselves with mental illness, um, or are praying for others that they know and love who are. This is this is a huge issue right now. So I just want you to be aware of it. Um, And this is kind of sums it up pretty well too, right? Emotionally, I'm in pain. Mentally, I'm depressed spiritually. I'm stressed, but what do we do physically? We smile. Okay. So really, um, sincerely check on friends, relatives. Don't, don't assume anyone is okay. Um, it doesn't hurt to ask questions. Um, and have the courage to ask, you know, and how people are doing. And then again, take the time to listen, right? Because it, it's not easy. Um, it's not easy to tell somebody you're hurting or you need help. And that's hard, hard for most of us, really. So we have to be patient. But, but do, um, do have the conversations, especially if you see any signs or changes in their lifestyle. And I'm going to show you some more resources, too, that might assist you in that. And what do people come to church for? A lot of reasons. But one of our spiritual themes is hope. So this is huge. They're coming to church. Um, They spend time in prayer. They do these things because they're seeking peace and they're seeking hope. So what hope do they get when they come to your campus, to your school, to your parish? Um, You know, what is the hope you have for them? And as I mentioned, this is our our Council on Mental Illness has just recently issued Uh, kind of revised and updated and add some new information. Uh, We have a pastoral response to mental illness available. You can find it on Amazon. It's bilingual. Actually, that covers kind of doesn't show that, but it's bilingual. Um, And also the free prayer cards. So that's St. Dymphna and that's St. John of God in the bottom right. These are two saints, both male and female version. um, And they're more modern renderings of them that they were commissioned actually by one of our members of our council on mental illness uh, Deacon Ed Schoner his daughter Katie who died by suicide that's the Katie Foundation was named after her and so these cards are you can get them in bulk for for free go to our site it might take you to the Katie Foundation but again it, they are posted on our on our website ncpd.org and then the directory on paragraph 270 says precisely because they are witnesses to the essential truths of human life persons with disabilities must be welcomed as great gift it also says the community enriched by their presence becomes more aware of the salvific mystery of the cross of christ and in living reciprocal relationships and welcoming and solidarity becomes a source of good in life and a reminder for the world Again, I always say we need them more than they need us, um, and and truth be told, the body of Christ is incomplete if we're not all present, right? So two seventy one. This one's the culture of inclusion, at least the way I saw that. Par- this this in particular paragraph, which I kind of broke down again as the the points of being. Um, No one size fits all, right? So it has to be individualized to meet the needs, the individual needs. You can look at these three, just these three pictures and you've got three very different dynamics going on, right? You also see the family perspective coming through as I mentioned, and more importantly, you know, the the great need really for us to think along the lines of what's called universal design because universal design is saying everything we're doing is truly accessible for, for others. I know that this recording we're doing today will be um, captioned post-production, but it will be up later, uh, I'm sure on their YouTube channel, and it will be captioned, which is again, something a sort certainly the National Catholic Partnership on Disability does regularly with our videos and recordings, just because you wanna make sure that more people have access to what we're putting out. Um, everyone, kinda of wanna level that playing field, right? So I asked you, when you were young, Seems a little odd picture to pop in, but I'm going to ask you what when you were young, do these pictures look like? Maybe something you did during summer with your friends, right? You would run and jump and have a good time outside in summer months. I know I did. Uh, but what is going on today with kids? And most of you can probably assess to this if you're a parent or a grandparent. Uh, and it's kind of funny because for a while we were telling kids, you know, they, they seem to be on devices, right? Too much. And then all of a sudden we went to virtual schooling and home based. And then, you know, people kind of laugh about now we're being telling them to get on their device again because they have to do their, their school via their computers. But the point being that prior to the pandemic, uh, their childhood currently, young people and ours may have had really different um, activities uh, in what filled our days. The point of the movement here of these kids jumping and running. And there's a little cartoon I'll put in the bottom down there. It's hard to read, but it just says there aren't any icons to click. It's a chalkboard, right? Because kids today are just used to being able to click and swipe, and that's all great. But um, what has happened is movement is good for the brain. The point is when you're always on a device or you're always sitting and or, you know, in front of, again, a TV, a device, et cetera, you're not moving as much as you could be. And movement is good for the brain. So it's good to have someone, even if they are on a device or doing some things, make sure it's your children, your grandchildren, et cetera, yourself, even myself at a desk at a chair a lot, I have to get up and go take a walk. I have to get up and go do something, you know, move every once in a while, because otherwise, you know, you know how it goes. You could end up sitting for hours at a time. So movement is good for the brain. Just don't lose sight of that. And it relates to this next topic about sensory processing challenges. How many children do you think live with sensory processing challenges? In sensory processing challenges, folks, what that means is that all this sense, we're all sensory beings, but all the input that's coming into you right now as we speak, you're seeing lights, you might be hearing a fan, um, you might hear traffic if you're near. you might you're looking at a screen. you may see the light from the computer, et cetera, et cetera. You feel the back of a chair or the bottom of the chair. So we're all sensory beings and we're taking all this input in. But when your brain does not work as efficiently or effectively as uh, someone else's does, then all that is a traffic jam in your brain. You can't sort it out. And so that's why sometimes people get really, um, you have a meltdown. If, if we don't, aren't, aren't proactive enough to see that someone needs to move, needs to go take a walk, needs to have maybe a yoga chair to sit on to get a little movement or a small mini trampoline to jump on for a few minutes, to take a break. Those kind of breaks allow someone to come back and attend, right? So let's see who got this one right. Answer was one in six children. So again, it's a pretty small number. You've got twenty people in front of you. You know, you've got two or three maybe that are really struggling with sensory processing. Maybe you're only going to light half the bank of lights in a room. You know, when you come back, um, you know maybe you're going to again allow for someone to be. In a section of the room or a, a, a retreat center, et cetera, that is more conducive to what they need. Maybe not. Maybe a little further away from louder noises, especially if there's any kind of music being used. As much as that's usually a good thing, you've got to be just sensitive to those sensory processing needs. Um, the other one is the sensory processing disorder. These are what how what you see. These are the symptoms you'll see when someone is struggling. Right. Um, I always keep this in my desk here to show too. People who need to chew on things a lot, you know, if they don't have something like this, which is made for a pencil topper that's very thick rubber, you buy them for this purpose. Uh, So if you had someone that had some kind of need to chew, it's much more socially appropriate to give someone a pencil topper to put on their pencil like this. Of course, you know, one-time use, it's theirs after that. But uh, as opposed to chewing on a collar of their t-shirt or their shirt, okay? That's not very socially appropriate. And again, a lot of people with autism will have those are their weaknesses. They don't understand the social world so much. So anything we can do to, again, it lessens bullying, makes them, again, more socially appropriate. Um, that would be helpful. Some other solutions to this same situation. And before we get to them, I put this other little kind of, well, it is a cartoon, but you'll see even Jesus, you know, the gospel writers. We can look at the, you know, his his best friends and and uh, apostles, and see that in today's time they might have been labeled as having a sensory processing disorder or ADHD, you know, in our time, but it's just that, and again, I say this about all of us. You know, we all have disabilities. We all have strengths and we all have weaknesses. So you know, as comical as that is, there's truth in it, right? And, and we all need sometimes some other assistance. So fidgets are the things we, we utilize. They're the little squeeze balls. Some of these things you probably already have around that you can use. If not, I just encourage you, if you know people are in these kind of settings now or later in life, where you can tell them about creating a little collection of items like this, especially in educational settings, retreat settings. Could be even items that could be on loan in the back of the church. And obviously the most appropriate one, I always say, here's the original fidget, right? It's just our rosary. These absolutely should be handed out for people to use. And of course, again, another little joke in regarding the, the original fidget spinner would be the small one decade. So these are things to think about. Also, um, our, I mentioned our Council on Intellectual and Developmental Disabilities has been creating almost, they've almost made the whole year now, of The I think, are about 10 or 11 months but on our website, you'll see Adapted Faith Formation Activities for Families. Every month, there's a different theme. And um, those have been, I, we've gotten, uh, seen emails and uh, diocesan newspaper articles from Hawaii last week. They were using our Adapted Faith Formation Activities at a parent group there. I was talking to a mother. I don't know. She, was, she might be on this call today, this webinar uh, yesterday that I was telling her about, the upcoming webinar. And uh, they also, and this was in the Diocese of Austin, was using our Adapted Faith Formation activities with a parent group. So a lot of great resources to look for. And again, NCPD is just here to help you if we can help you further. And so again, I'm I'm grateful for this opportunity to be with you today. Uh, Virtual learning tips, I'm going to give you just a few since we're together and we're still doing a lot of hybrid or virtual. Smaller groups of learners, obviously best if you can project this video to a larger screen instead of small screens, even in homes, Um, you know, over streaming the masses. I don't watch it on my small screen. You know, I'm I'm putting it on a larger screen. So sometimes that's just better to keep someone engaged. Uh, Animations, transitions, and PowerPoint slides, helpful. Engage all five senses. Now, you might seem hard to get all five senses engaged, but I say try as much as you can to do so. You, if you shoot for five, you'll probably get three or four most of the time. So that's still really helpful because if someone can't hear, can they get something from their, your lesson? If they can't see, can they get something from a lesson? You know, we have to think about that and not just take for granted that if we just do it in one or two ways uh, or modalities that everyone's, you know, getting something from the lesson. Again, use three-dimensional items. So you want to use things that people can actually, tactile kinesthetic, hold on to. And use presenter view versus gallery view, so you're looking again at one one screen versus ten or twenty or more. So blended learning technology, which we're using today, of course, so you've already got that kind of built in. But you're using technology and hands-on materials, combination of both. You know, maybe you're asking people to look up something on their phone. You know, maybe you let them use their phone for that purpose. You know, go Google something and get the answer to this question. Um, send out materials in advance or provide opportunities for them to be picked up. Shorter segments of instruction. One of the adages is a lot of times uh, some of our learners need twice as much time to do half as much work. So that's a little tip for you, twice as much time to do half as much work. So either cut their work in half or double the amount of time you give them to get something done. Okay. Involve music and move, movement. That's very helpful. We've talked about the benefits of, of movement, and music also has m- massive benefits, we know, for brain study. Be attentive to time commitments and the stress level of the parents. Remember the family focus. So it's not just about the person you're trying to teach um, and the Catholic faith to, but you're also talking about those parents that have a lot more on their plate than normal right now, and especially if they have a child or children with disabilities. Provide ways for parents to connect with you. So make sure they have your cell phone, et cetera. Simple practice, Christ-like hospitality. Um, A lot of isolation in our families. The pandemic has only really driven that isolation even further, so be aware of that. I put here cultural perspective and family life. um, Cultural in the sense, again, not of ethnicity, but about the culture of a family who has someone with a disability. First, be sensitive not only to the parents, be very sensitive to siblings, okay? Siblings are, have a front row seat in this uh, reality of a life in a family with someone with a disability. And a lot of attention, because it needs to, goes to the child or children with disabilities. So those other siblings that maybe don't have a, a diagnosis as such really need need a place to speak and talk and uh, and share about that. And, and maybe some extra love and attention from some of us as well, because parents are very pulled and demanded to serve the other child again, out of need. And the other thing is just to know how much the high the divorce rate is. So families who have children with disabilities, the divorce rate can be as high, I've been told, as 80 or 90 percent. And that's Catholic, non-Catholic. It's just extremely high because of the amount of stress put on, the extra stress put on that family. And again, we talk about when we open our hearts to one person with a disability, what we open our hearts to the entire family. So you're really affirming the entire family's Catholic identity, which we'll get to in a minute. Um, and it says, catechists should also be close to the families of persons with disabilities, accompanying them and fostering their full cooperate, incorporation into the community. It says, the openness of life of these families is a witness that deserves great respect and admiration. Catholic identity, um, communal life, evangelization, missionary spirit or kind of the topics I broke it down into on this section. So in the past, they would be baptized, that young child or or any person, and they would come back for other sacraments of initiation, in particular um, Eucharist and confirmation. And there was really nothing in the past. So that has changed. We're much better along with that. But there's still a lot of tips and uh, special Tactics, I guess you could say. You want to work with uncon- use, unconsecrated hosts because of those sensory needs. They need to know how to get or get used to the taste and texture of the host. That's not something that they're going to be able to just, you know, jump into easily. So anytime you're preparing someone for a sacrament in particular, for confirmation, because they have to be signed on the forehead with holy chrism. You're going to want to start practicing right from the beginning using baby oil that will replicate that chrism, less the, the fragrant smell, of course. But at least that gives that person who has a sensory need the opportunity to, to not only have someone get used to someone signing them. So that's helpful and have their families do this at home with them, especially, which is always good. But um, even just using that baby oil will, will help them for the, for the actual celebration. These are some unfortunate, even though I say it, this was not that long ago, but still, there's some unfortunate situations that occur sometimes where someone, again, people try to ban someone from coming to mass because, again, sometimes, like I said, out of fear, they're afraid there's a behavior they don't understand, um, as opposed to trying to really accompany and journey with someone. Again, same thing here, someone who has cerebral palsy and he was denied. First Holy Communion, and then it gets on the news. And you know, again, it shouldn't have to be that way. You know, really, I I say if if every if it's not a joyful experience for everybody, then we're doing something wrong. It's on us to make some changes and adjustments, in my opinion. All right. Um, and then sacramental life, okay. Um, again, we talk about the parent support, the sibling support. The two on the left up here are two sisters, actually, and uh You know, the older sister, Notre Dame graduate, the younger sister is going to live with her parents all of her life. So, you know, you have these situations. um, And right there, she's preparing for confirmation. They're using modeling clay to make doves for the Holy Spirit when they were focusing on the Holy Spirit. So you can do things in a lot of different and creative ways. And I just want you to know that. It helps to kind of build a team of people to do this. You can have a priest, a youth minister, catechist, and of course, the learner. And uh, I would typically encourage you to get the youth from a, a that are in the typical program, the confirmandes, to serve as buddies for some of the kids. I say kids, children of God, all ages, because some of these folks in these pictures right here are already in their 20s or 30s easily, chronologically. But uh, that's the best way also to build relationships, which they really need our assistance and help with very much so. And it just says that, you know, persons with disabilities are active agents. They're not passive recipients, especially of sacramental life. You know, this was a gift from God when they were baptized. It is desirable, the document, the the directory says, it is desirable that they themselves should be catechists and with their testimony, transmit the faith in a more effective way. So for those who are able to do so, yes, absolutely. Affirms gifts and abilities, right? Being a catechist, being in a leadership role, or maybe they're a co-catechist. Certainly we've seen many who have disabilities that are altar servers. However, they we can use their gifts. We need to call them forth. It's about conversion, Um, and I always say every parish wants that for their faith community. And I believe if you get people with disabilities and their families involved in the full life of the church, God uses them to touch hearts, right, and bring about that conversion that sometimes we can't with all the teaching and preaching we do. Again, sensory: be aware of sounds, sense lights, maybe do a cologne-free environment. If you haven't have the, the ability or need help with having offering a sensory-friendly mass at a parish, these are some things that you'd want to be aware of and note, right? And sensory-friendly mass, I say it and sometimes people don't know what I mean. I mean low sensory. Again, maybe not all the lights are on, maybe we're gonna uh, read, a, read a response instead of singing it. Anything that makes it brings it down. Maybe some items would be available in the back of the church, like a loaning a lending library to use. Uh, things to think about. I often talk too about instead of used calling a cry room a cry room, which has sometimes been the words we've used. Uh, so That's how I we know it. I say I prefer that they were re- rename it to a calming room which is much more, uh, again, dignity of the person appropriate for someone who's chronologically 20 or 30, but needs a place to go either to take a break or just because they can't attend in the main sanctuary because it's just too large or too many people. So these are all things that you can do uh, that would help and support this, right? And basically spiritual understanding can be shown through gesture or respectful temperament. You can see a difference in someone's behavior when they're on the playground versus when they're in a church. So sometimes they may not have the words, but we see by their, their body movement again, all behavior is communication. Um what, what they what they understand at a different level than we might. Sacraments and the celebration. I like this picture because I see the smiles on all the clergy's faces, faces in particular. So this young girl here is, you know, again, 20, 30 years old. She's being confirmed by Cardinal Donardo in that picture. Um, and then the directory says, persons with this this is a very good quote in the directory. They've always said it, but they're very emphatical about it now. Persons with disabilities are called to the fullness of sacramental life, even in the presence of serious disorders. The sacraments are gifts from God and the liturgy, even before it is rationally understood, asked to be lived. Therefore, no one can deny sacraments to people with disabilities. Again, no one can deny sacraments to people with disabilities. Now we need to catechize them and not discount that just because of a disability, but um, then we give them to God and God gives them the grace he intends. We're just the middle person. And I I always say this is a ministry of hospitality and evangelization. Here's the same family after the celebration, this mother and father on the far left and right have four children, oldest daughter next to the mother on the right. Again, no disability, you know, straight through college grad, etc. Her three younger siblings, the, the the two in the dark clothing are twins, and then the young, younger brother in the white shirt, all three of them have autism. This, unfortunately, is also getting more and more um, common to have multiple children in a family with the autism. And so again, bringing forth their gifts, giving them opportunities to serve, this is another baptismal right you have. You have three baptismal rights, to be educated in your faith, to celebrate your sacraments and live a sacramental life, and to respond to God's call. So, you know, for being uh, gift bearers, for handing out bulletins or opening doors in the back of churches, and in any ways, you know, to match their gifts, ask them what they would like to do, and, and please let them be more fully involved. I mentioned to you earlier. This is just a few resources now at the end here. Uh, the rights to persons with disabilities in medical treatment during COVID um, pandemic. We wrote this document in our office early in the last spring. Again, it was focusing then more on the need for and the rare, the, the you know the beds were rare and the ventilators were, I think, even rarer at the time for a time. And now, of course, the issue has been though it's getting better, the, the you know, need to get people that are even more vulnerable than others uh, vaccinated. So um, speaking of disability, we've talked some about that language earlier in the day, but uh, we have a document now out speaking of disability pastoral guidelines on language that tells you a lot more, even on signage and how to change and update your signage on campuses. And then the LAM, which stands for Language Accessibility, Meaningful Participation and Belonging, LAM, uh it's really an assessment tool so it's got a checklist you can go around it's got lots of fields to look at and and again reflect on and kind of rate how you're doing i think colleen was kind enough to mention a couple of the books i authored uh that came out in 2019 this is one i always have said it's great that we help the person with a disability and their family um, and the leadership as much as we can but the biggest audience honestly uh, oftentimes is everybody else, right? It's the everybody else. So how do we help even again, starting being proactive with our youngest people in our, in front of us to teach other teaching children in particular, young children uh, about people with disabilities so that they grow up with more knowledge and again, less fear, apprehension, Um, You know, even in there, I remember talking once about how, you know, I know of a friend who's blind and he said, you know, I would hear he's blind, but he would be on the street with his white cane and he would hear a child say to a parent, you know, what's wrong with him? Or, you know, they'd be questioning this white cane and um, this person in sunglasses. But he said he would hear him, but he would hear it. And what would happen when the mother or father or someone with them would say, you know, Oh, just come on, let's go. You know, they want to shoo them away real quick. But but the reality of doing such a thing, and I try and explain this even in the books, there's a part in there that's really written for the parents and catechists, as well as definitely activities to do with children to educate them and uh, raise their empathy, I w- empathy and kindness, I would say, is that um, when you take them away from the situation, what does it learn? What do they learn? The message really is that there's something, you know, Something less than about that. It's, it's you know, you, you, they, get, they get a negative connotation that it's something wrong um, as opposed to an open conversation or even better, ha- allowing someone to ask the person directly themselves a question because the, the man who is blind would have been delighted to have spoken to them, you know, of course, directly. And then my other book that I'm, you know, very proud of this book we wrote, uh, myself and my good friend John Barone, back from Houston and uh, The Adaptive Teacher. If you haven't seen that book, that one's um, full of information on classroom management, sensory processing uh, issue uh, and strategies, executive function. Uh, I mean, I could organization. Obviously, there's a little tip sheet there that goes with it on our website. There's also even a study guide that Loyola Press put together because I, we heard some some parishes and communities were doing study, using it as a book club, kind of doing study group on with it. So they created a, a guide for that. And um Anyway, just know that that's out there as well for you. I'm going to go back to Henry Nowen's book just for one more moment, kind of a closing moment with it, because the other thing that he does in this book and a lot of what we, I get asked often is, well, how do we know? You know, how do we know that Adam, whoever our Adam is, that they're understanding what we're trying to tell them? The content, you know, what if they don't, what if they can never say back the gifts of the, the, the Holy Spirit for a confirmation prep or, or do they, you know, will they ever understand or be able to say, or understand the, our father, we have all these questions that we wonder, um, and maybe even worry about a little bit. But as I said, as long as we catechize to the best of our ability and give them to God, uh, what Henry Nowen suggests in this little gem of a book also is that those are our questions from below. So what he says is we have to flip it and think about God's questions from above. God's questions from above are, can you see my face in Adam? Can you see the face of Christ in Adam? Can you let Adam lead you in prayer? Those are very different questions. So I leave you with that. I hope it's been helpful. Thank you. God bless you. And if, there are, if there's time and if we have questions, I'd be delighted to try and respond to some of them. Or of course my contact information is up as well if you need to reach me later, always available.
0: Great, thank you so much, Charlene, for that wonderful presentation. Um, as Charlene mentioned, we now have just a couple of minutes for um, some questions. So um, I got a couple here for you, Charlene. So um, first of all, um, I am a director of religious education. I would like my catechist to know more about how to teach people with disabilities. Where should I begin?
1: Um, I would really start by either going to, really going to our website. There's a plethora of information there. Uh, Know that, again, The Adaptive Teacher, that book in particular, Again, it's won six awards. People are gobbling it up. I would highly suggest you invest in at least a copy to share for your catechist. You can check it out, something like that. So our website would be would be key. Uh, I don't know. Some dioceses have a director's of disability or, or oversee this lens in most dioceses. Well, not one say most, some do, not as many as I'd like. So that's why, in a sense, I think NCPD right now is even a little more relevant just because because of the pandemic, like other fields, some people have been let go at those positions or if there was an opening, they weren't refilled yet. So so for that reason, I say, come to us. Let us help you if you can if we can, but first go to your diocese, make sure and see if they have anything. Uh, I think this person said they were already a catechetical leader, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay, so, and then if, and as well, NCEA, which is the National Catholic Education Association for the Catholic Schools, has an exceptional learner site on their site. So they do have some some information as well, kind of in, inside their, their website, if that's helpful. Um, And I see someone asked where to purchase the books. I know they're on Amazon. And if you can't get them there, you just, again, talk to our office because we have them in stock in our office as well.
0: Great. Great. So um, I also have another one for you, too. Um, So as you mentioned in the presentation, we'll probably have a crisis after the pandemic related to mental health. Mm -hmm. I work for a diocese. How can we begin to prepare our parishes to meet these needs in the upcoming months?
1: On that one, again, I'm going to send you to that pastoral response that we just issued. Um, Again, Amazon or my office. That's going to have a lot of, um, I would say, and and really some very practical pieces in there. We've been offering a webinar, whole webinar series on suicide since fall, actually. We've got, I think, Physician-assisted suicide is March 8th coming up. But our Council on Mental Illness, and they're going to have more webinars coming like once a month. So I would say stay tuned, get our e-newsletter so you can be connected with at least sharing. Because that's, you know, what I like about things like that is if, you know, it's like your old webinar today. All people have to do is hit that forward button to somebody else. Get this in, share information. That's the best thing you can do for all of our, our organizations really is you can reach people we can't. So if you get a hold of something, you know, don't keep it under a bushel barrel. Make sure you share it further. That's very helpful. Uh, NAMI is another, their secular organization, but for parishes and dio- dioceses, please know about NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness. They're a free resource, which is always a blessing, right? So, and they have presenters that can speak in, I know English and Spanish all day long, probably some other languages as well. And you just have to give them the space. And especially when you start coming back, they have people, they'll probably be, they're, they're going to have to hire more people, I think, because they're going to have so many people being called out to do presentations. Um, the Association of Catholic Mental Health Ministers is another newer organization. Actually, that Deacon Ed uh, Stratton that I mentioned that's on my Council for Mental Illness, he and some other Catholic mental health ministers created this new uh, new organization Together with them, NCPD and the Association of Catholic Mental Health Ministers are planning to have a collaborative conference on mental health. It will probably be, uh, well, as soon as we can, because we'd like very much to do it live. It'll be a national conference, but maybe even a hybrid. Maybe we'll do a blending because we know there's benefit for sure. And uh, that would be end of 2021 or early 2022, best I can tell you right now.
0: Great. Awesome. Well, those are some good resources, I think, there. Um, And then we just have one last question today. So um, what are some ways that our parish could reach out to families who are not coming to mass or religious education or other events because either they or their children or family members are living with disabilities?
1: Say the beginning of the question again, Colleen.
0: Um, what are some ways that our parish could reach out to families who are not coming to mass or religious education or, or other events because they or their children or family members are living with disabilities?
1: And, and that really is a bit of an age-old problem. But what I will tell you, you have to you have to create intentionally create something that they'll be able to come to, and again, really make it be something that they can attend. Uh, a sensory mass, which I spoke about briefly, but I've done this when I was in Houston before I left Houston and I've seen other people do it. That's very much um, a huge blessing for these families in particular, because oftentimes they're not coming because they their loved one can't attend at our typical mass. Because it's too much for them, and I've even heard of people with mental illness, it's the same thing. Sometimes it just takes them days to prepare to be able to deal with the crowd of people that might be at a especially larger parishes. I heard one person say it took them three days. They didn't mean three days to get dressed or do the laundry, they meant emotionally to get their to lower their anxieties enough to be able to go out and into that environment. So when you think of those kind of things, if you could have a mass that maybe it's maybe it's a Saturday vigil, maybe it's one of your lower attended masses when we come back. And, and don't create a new mass, just take an existing mass. Again, maybe it has less people typically attend and make some modifications and accommodations. Uh, assisted listening devices could be on, on loan in the back of the church, large print missiles, um, et cetera, fidgets, all these kind of different things that you could do that says this, this mass and bill it, this is gonna be a sensory friendly mass. The lights will be lower, the music will be quieter. You will see people come to that mass that have never come. See that's what I, I say. We have to get creative in our outreach, and maybe sometimes we just have to offer something for them that's just a fun community building event. You know, it's just a uh, you know, you know, even around you know holidays and typical times. I'd say you know maybe it's an elves workshop. You know, think ahead, but you know maybe it's an elves workshop where it's just respite for parents. But bring us whoever any age child of God that wants to just have some fun. You know, holiday type fun. Uh, Christmas, you know, or Advent thing, we used to have annual Advent gatherings for the disability community in Houston. It was always the beginning of the month of December. And, you know, you say it's respite so the parents can leave, but typically the parents stayed because they just had fun. And often they drive so far to come to something because it's indicative of how little is offered for them, but then they stay anyway. And then, so we started just doing was offering a side room where parents, even if they came and stayed, if they wanted, they could go sit and just talk to each other because honestly, that is golden, Mm -hmm. right?
0: Absolutely. Great. Well, those are some great ideas. I hope those were helpful answers to the questions that we got. Um, But anyway, I just wanted to say again, thank you, Charlene, for this presentation. And thank you to everyone who tuned in and joined us today. Um, we're going to have a recording of this webinar uploaded to our YouTube channel in the next week. Um, and as Charlene mentioned, we're also going to have that be captioned as well um, after we publish it. Um, so keep an eye out on our YouTube channel and also on our website, which is catholicapostolatecenter.org. You're welcome to share this webinar with anyone as you'd like. As always, our content is absolutely free to share. And if you haven't found us yet on social media, please like or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram in the hope that we'll continue to reach more people with spreading the message of the gospel. And um, just one more time again, this presentation is part of our webinar series on the Directory for Catechesis. And our next presentation um, is going to be called From Programs to People. Reimagining Adult Faith Formation. And um, we're gonna have uh, Nicole Perrone, who is the National Coordinator of Esteem, join us to talk about Reimagining Adult Faith Formation. And that webinar will take place on Tuesday, March 23rd at 1 p.m. Eastern. And you can go to our website for more information about that and also how to register. So again, thank you, Charlene. And thank you again, everyone for joining us today. In the words of St. Vincent Pallotti, may the charity of Christ urge you on. Thank you and God bless. Thank you.